to Totalus Rankium. This week, round four, Imagil Facious. And welcome to Roman Emperors of Talus Rankium, the rounds. I'm Jamie. And I'm Rob, and we've ranked all of the emperors from Augustus to Constantine eleven. And we are now we are now sifting through and separating the wheat from the chaff. Oh, I love that phrase. Just oh, chaff yes. sounds filthy. Oh, it does. We've we've got a lot of chaff, Jamie. <laughs> a lot of uh, chaff. Yeah. But a little bit of wheat. And we're Good. gonna find some more wheat today, I hope so. Some wheaty wheaty goodness. Good. So um yeah, so here we are. Round four, but uh, mm. not, not not just yet, not just yet. But obviously, it's the rounds first, and we're looking at Imagofacius this week. I, I think Imagofacius has been is often one of the most fun rounds, other than Crazium, because you get to see all the like, and you kind of go, "That doesn't look mm. like a person; it looks like an ant," and that's fun. That is fun. I mean, it was a brave decision to do uh, a visual round in an audio podcast, but we <laughs> went with it and we stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. But I know, I know what you're really here for, Jamie. Who impressed oh, yeah. us? With their mighty, mighty good looks. Oh, uh, what dynasty? What dynasty is the sexiest dynasty? I do you know. I I reckon it's going to be before you know they get those kind of traditional Byzantine style images. Yeah. I think yeah. it'd be more that sort of like in a in a coiny thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So I think an early one. Leonid. I'm going for Leonid. Leonid. Okay. Well, the Leonids uh, scored an average of one point seven five. Remember this is out of five, so it's okay. not quite as bad as it first sound, but still below half, halfway. It's still not great. No. I mean, sort yourselves out, Leonids. Uh, the yeah. Justinians scored two point two nine, a little bit yeah, better. Yeah. The Heraclians three point three three. They are doing very well, aren't they? Oh uh, well, I mean, Justinian two is a Heraclian, and yeah. uh, Heraclius himself is a Heraclian. There's some good Heraclians in there. Yeah, there's also uh, like also got people called the Bearded in the Heraclian dynasty. Yeah, which, I mean, we'll get to him in just a moment. Anyway, <laughs> the 20-year Anarchy, 2.85, not too bad there. The Isaurians, mm. 2.33. Oh, the Nykephorons. Oh. oh, they're just not very good, are they? 1.08. No. <laughs> Hard to score high on this round when you don't have a head for most of your rule. Uh, the Amorians, a fairly impressive 2.93. That's over half marks. All of those Macedonians only scored an average of 2.19. Yeah. The Ducas, you ready for this one? Yeah. 3.55. It's an impressively high score from That's the Dukas. Uh, the Comnenae, 2.95. The Angelos. Oh dear, things are going bad for the Angelos. It's a 1.95. The Lascaris Exiled Emperors, 2.25. And then our final lot, the Paleologos, scored 3.13. Oh, that's not bad. So our third sexiest dynasty was the Paleologos lot. Nice. Yeah, not an early one. Right. Our second sexiest dynasty was the Heraclians, an early one. Yeah. But according to us, our most sexy dynasty is the Ducas dynasty. Ah. Oh. So there you go. But let's actually, let's break this down slightly. Who who were the worst? I'm guessing the ones that just are either generic or just you can't really tell what it is. Uh, quite possibly. We only had seven with zero. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that wasn't too bad. Um, so I'm just going to go through them, and then we can decide based on that. Uh, Leo II, uh, he was a child emperor with a bad ant face coin, so we gave him zero. Ant face. Yeah. Starachius, we gave him zero because it amused us, because he was so <laughs> awful. And also, his coin was worse than Quintilis's, and he got a zero, which he probably shouldn't have done, so we gave yeah. Starachius a zero. 
Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, we were consistent in uh, <laughs> how inconsistent we were. Uh, Stephen. Stephen got a zero because he didn't even have a coin. He had his name on a coin and that was it. <laughs> I mean, straight away, that that's in, in pole position for worse. It's, it's a right? contender, isn't it? I think Stephen's yeah. going to be hard to beat. Uh, Michael Five, the ship smearer, uh, he had a coin with a figure on that might have been him, but no one's really sure. <laughs> so he got a zero. Fair enough. Not great, but uh, I think Stephen's worse here. Uh, Michael Six, he got a coin. Mm. And it was awful. Absolutely yeah. awful. It was Return of the Ant Man. Uh, however, I must say, when compiling this together, I actually found a better coin of him. Ooh. Yeah, so maybe he just got unlucky there. Yeah. Alexios IV, uh, a manuscript picture from the 1400s. So this is 200 years after he was born, so it wasn't contemporary. Um, but it was a it was a good manuscript picture, and it, it was just a spotty kid. This is yeah. the awful, awful Alexios IV, and he looked like a spoiled brat. Yeah. In fact, I will quote myself here. He looks like the kind of face that you would not want to be near. It's a bad <laughs> image. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, seems quite harsh, but I mean, he was a bad bit. emperor, so... Well, he deserved that. Um, and then finally, we've got Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas has nothing. Nothing at all. Oh. How long did he reign for? <laughs> You've forgotten who Nicholas is, haven't you? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Put it this way, Nicholas is the only emperor in both seasons who scored a total of zero. Oh, literally the lowest scoring emperor. He was the guy who was declared emperor in the Hagia Sophia and was not emperor before he even left the building. That's a fast turnaround. Yeah, he was holed up in the Hagia Sophia for a few days. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he doesn't even score a point because he was ruling for such a low amount of time. If you crunch the numbers, he didn't score points in Temo Completo. He I didn't get a coin. The episode. It was a very short episode. It uh, was well, probably yeah. tacked on the end of another <laughs> one when we were recording. Probably. So you've probably forgotten it. His full name was Nicholas Cannabis. So you made Ooh. some. Lo- you made lots of cannabis yeah, jokes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. Dude. Um, <laughs> he probably <laughs> chilled out in care. We'll, we'll talk about Nicholas uh, again at another time mm. at some point. But there you go. So who is going to get um, lowest for this round? Well, Nicholas. It is going to be Nicholas for having nothing. Has to be. Okay, it yeah. makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I'm tempted to say Stephen for just having his name on a coin. It wasn't even his name on its own. It was in a list. Uh, but no, let's go for Nicholas. So Adam Nicholas, you are our lowest image of facial scorer. Then Stephen, I think, next. Then let's say Stracius, just because his story amuses me. Yeah. Okay, right, but top five. Come on, who were our best? Well, we had four emperors who we scored full marks. So best way to do this, I think, is uh, you just type their name into Google and pull up the uh, the images. Yeah. And I will point out the ones that we used to base his score on. So we're going to start with Constance II. Constance II. Constance II oh, the in the Heraclean dynasty, and this is one reason why the Heraclean's got to go high, is Constance II was in here. Is it the Wikipedia coin? Oh, let me check. So I'm liking the big silver coin when you type it in. He's got a strong face. Oh, it's not the it's not the big silver one. Yeah, go into the Wikipedia coin. That's the one we used. That is... Oh, look at that moustache. I forgot about that. Yeah, look at the beard. Oh, yes. Absolutely amazing. The moustache is just massive. It's pencil thin and it extends <laughs> so far past his face. Past his it, ears. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And the beard is... Oh, it's a big Gandalf beard. And it's the hair. Mis- and the big wavy hair. I mean, I, it is amazing. It's it's yeah. 
if you're listening and you can, just type into Constance 2 into your nearest device and just revel in the glory of that coin. Okay, so that's Constance 2. The next person we had was Constantine 7. Again, if you go onto Wikipedia, it's the top image. That's a carving. It is a carving in ivory, and the way that it's deteriorated, it makes it look like he's got an eye patch on, which yeah. we gave him bonus points. We scored him yeah. high because it was an ivory carving, and that's unusual. Mm. And then we gave him bonus points for the fact that he now looks like a pirate with an eye patch. Yeah, he does a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah. Looks like he's crying as well. Oh, uh, well, I'm not surprised with his reign. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there we go. That's uh, Constantine Seven. That's nice. Uh, next up, we had Constantine Nine. Got a cons in your name. You're doing well. Mm. Very blingy, very glittery. Um, yeah. I love that he's carrying a bag, uh, a nice shaped beard and big rosy cheeks. Yeah, I, I'll admit, I was so surprised at this one. I went back and listened to why we gave this one four marks. Now, don't get me wrong, it is a good image. Mm. But I'm surprised we gave this one four marks. It's a good mosaic. Yeah. It's in the Hagia Sophia, which is nice. He's carrying a giant garlic, we decided. So that amused nice. us. Um, so we gave him uh, points for that. Uh, we also like the fact that uh, that is not actually him. That was uh, Zoe's previous husband. And then they hacked his face away and then put uh, Constantine 9's face on top, which we quite liked. Now you say that, I can see where it's obviously yeah, been yeah. stuck Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't done too subtly. That's why we gave four marks for that one, but I'm I just not, not seeing him win, to be honest, compared to the last two. No. And now we have, finally, John 8. You should remember this one when it comes up. Oh, yes, the hat! Yeah, one of our last ones. Uh, This is a a contemporary painting done when uh, they went and visited Florence. It was a a painting in the the Magi Chapel. And it's a a huge painting, loads of people are in it, but this is meant to be John 8. And just look at him with his hat and the feathers and his curly hair. And oh, you don't get anything else like this in all of Roman history. It is just a really cool image. What I like about it, I don't think I noticed it before. It looks like he's he's like twisted his neck all the way around. It's like we're looking at his back, and he's just like, oh yeah, with he's, his neck. He was walking down the path, and someone behind him said something, and he just owled himself. <laughs> yeah, and stared behind them. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. I know who is not going in the top three. Uh, yeah, it'd be a uh, Constantine. What's his name? Nine. nine. Yeah. Let's yeah. get rid of Constantine Nine. Uh, he's just not as good as the others. And then we've got three very different images. We've got a coin, which is surprising to be there, but um, it's a very good coin. Look at that moustache. Constance 2, the bearded. Um, then we've got Constantine uh, 7, his ivory relief. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the painting of John. So uh, I'll defer to you. I like all of these. I, what way yeah, do you want to go? I, I think Constantine Constance 2 should be next because... It's a coin, we've seen it before, even though it's got an amazing moustache. I think this is more interesting because they're different mediums. Okay, let's say Constance 2 comes third. You'll be disappointed. That's quite the moustache he's got. Second? Oh, I've got... I think second, I've got... My feeling is Constantine 7. I agree, second Constantine 7. It's the fact that that eye patch, which we really like, doesn't actually exist. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, It is mostly uh, the shadow of the photo we're looking at and a crack yeah. that's in there. And so take that into account. I've, I've got I've to say that can't win. No. Um, so we are saying John 8, Paleologos, is our sexiest emperor. Yeah. I, and his beard looks just... I, as somebody that wears a beard very similarly, 
Well, yeah, I was going to say, that. you have a very similar beard to him, don't you? Yeah. yeah, you do. Okay. Right, well, there we go. We have sorted out uh, our Imago Facius for season two. Well done to John 8 for being our top, and oh dear to Nicholas for being our bottom. Are you ready for round four? Yes. Yes, I am. Let's do it. Round four. This round is, on the face of it, possibly the easiest so far, in that we have three lower-scoring emperors, and then we have two Komnenai emperors who both came in the top ten. Well, I mean... Those are the two who are going to have to be beaten. We've got uh, Andronicus and Alexios I, the two Komnenos emperors. And I must admit, we keep talking about the Komnenos emperors, and did they stick out to you when we were doing it much? Um, well, you, my memory's not great anyway, but uh, yeah. no, no, they, they didn't stand Well, out. I thought about this. Jamie, you remember that six-month period where my life fell apart and I was forced to move house, like, twice, and my partnership of 14 years ended, and I found out my mum had terminal cancer. Do you remember that? Ah, uh, rings a bell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was when we were doing the Commonwealth Dynasty. Ah, that might yeah. be why. <laughs> this is why... <laughs> I'm struggling to remember them as well. I went back and listened to the start of the episodes, and in two of them, you go, we're back. (laughs) And then something else fell apart, and yeah, so yeah. That's why I don't remember them as well. But if you listen to them in a string together, then actually you'll hear that they did a damn good job, which is why four out of five of them got Gene César. None of them have gone through so far. None of the common arts... uh, Emperors have managed to get through to the semi-finals. But this is going to be tricky for anyone to dislodge them, I think, this round. Because we also have Manuel II from the Paleologos dynasty. He was 34th overall with a score of 29.25. We have Constantine IV from the Heraclean dynasty. He came 17th overall with 36.13. We have Leo I, our first emperor of season two, who came 31st with 30.13. Then we've got Andronicus, who came 8th, 40.25. And then we've got Alexios, who came 7th with 40.63. So we have two clear outliners here, but that does not mean they're going to go through. It's not based on what ranks they got. No. No, and we might come across Andronicus or Alexios one and go, you know what? Overrated. Don't know why we put them through. Is that true? I'm not going to spoil it. I just know <laughs> that it would appear on face value, and I know what the chat's been around this round. The chat has been, oh, wow, the two common lies are going through, aren't they? Well, uh, we will see. We okay. will see. After putting my okay. notes together. Hmm, interesting. Right, let's do this, shall we? Manuel 2. Okay, here we go. Manuel 2, 1407 to 1409. We start with one of the last emperors we covered. Manuel Dos. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So cool. So So cool. cool. He was born into all the craziness that was the uh, civil war fight between John 5 and John 6. He moved around a lot when he was a child. Uh, His brother, Andronicus IV, was made co-emperor with his father, John V. Manuel was not meant to be uh, the emperor at this time, so it's just his older brother. Um, Manuel was taken with his father to the Hungarians when he was young to go and ask for help against the Ottomans. Right. So they travelled up the river, and Manuel was just left behind with the Hungarians as a hostage to make sure that the uh, deal <laughs> didn't go that. wrong. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So he was just left there. Daddy. Um, Eventually, he was released, and uh, then he grows up a bit, and he rules the second city of the empire at the time, Thessalonica. He must have been so pissed off. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, it gets worse, if you remember. (laughs) 
His father then goes to Italy to go and visit the Pope, if you remember, to ask for help there. And then he gets trapped in Venice because his father owes Venice a lot of money and they refuse to let him go. Yeah. So Manuel has to go and bail him out because his older brother is refusing to do it. So off he goes to Venice. He gets there. His father is released, but Manuel has to stay in Venice as a hostage once more just Yay. to make sure everything goes well. Brilliant. Anyway, he is released and he gets some land off the Serbians after this, much to his father's pleasure. Then his brother, annoying brother Andronicus, tries to coup, so he's thrown in prison. But John V then goes to the Ottoman Sultan and essentially gives up the empire. We will be your vassal state. We are too weak. Yeah. A short civil war then breaks out with Andronicus trying to take the throne after escaping prison. He escapes prison, he's put on the throne, and Manuel is thrown in prison himself. So, Manuel's in prison, his brother's on the throne, but then he escapes from prison. Hooray! And then he fights his brother. Lots of political back and forth goes on, but eventually Manuel ends up disobeying orders from his father, and he basically goes, no, we're the Roman Empire, damn it, we are not a vassal state for the Ottomans. I don't care, my father the emperor says that we need to follow the Ottomans' orders, I'm fighting against them. So he holds out... Yeah, he holds out in Thessalonica as the last stand of the Romans, basically. Uh, Thessalonica falls eventually, though. The might of the Ottomans, he can't fight against it. He flees. Then he gets back to the capital. He's kind of let back in with his father. The Ottomans then siege the capital. Manuel flees once more, and he comes back with a hired fleet from the Knights Hospitaller. So he is then able to lift the siege. So he saves the empire once more. Uh, But the empire's weak, very weak at this point. Manuel is forced to go and see Bayezid, the Ottoman sultan, and fight for him for a while. So he essentially gives up. They are now a vassal state of the Ottomans. Yeah. And then his father dies, so Manuel rushes back to the capital, declares himself emperor. He's 41 years old at this point. After Bayezid, the sultan, almost kills Manuel and all the other vassal kings in the area, Manuel decides that, no, he can't be a vassal state. They will just kill him. So he's got to fight. So he looks west. He's got to get help. So he manages to contribute to the idea of a crusade. Hmm. Why don't you Western powers come and have another crusade? Hooray! And then you can get rid of the Ottomans. The crusade fails miserably and everyone dies. Not good. Bayezid furious by this, sieges the capital in revenge, and a five-year siege goes by, but Manuel manages to hold out. A French knight turned up and helped lead the victory against the Ottomans. Yeah, that really cool French knight just turned up. Yeah! Yeah, yeah. uh, And then Manuel goes, I will be back in just a moment. Just popping off west to get some help. So he goes on his grand tour. He goes to Venice, and then Paris, and then London. It's weird hearing London. Yeah, via Canterbury. And I was in Canterbury quite a lot whilst doing this research. So I was sitting around Canterbury in like (laughs) cafes and pubs going, I wonder if Manuel walked up this street. Did he have a a coffee here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, lots of politics is going on. He seemed to have a great time in the West, especially in Paris. He probably would have wanted to stay in Paris. uh, But unfortunately, he knows he's got a duty. He's got to go back. So he goes back with a bag full of promises from the West. Of course we'll come and help you. He goes back and he opens his bag of promises. And what's inside the bag? Dirt. Dust. <laughs> Dust and despair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately for Manuel, the West aren't coming to help him. But there's some good luck. 
because the Ottomans had been invaded by Timur at this point. Uh, a force to be reckoned with that we didn't really have time to cover, but he, he stands out in history as being quite the, uh, the, the guy to be beaten. He just rolls through the Ottomans and just destroys them. Yeah, anyway, uh, the Ottomans were reeling after Bayezid is captured by Timur and killed, and his sons take over, and it's a mess for the Ottomans. Manuel spends the last years of his rule playing the Ottoman princes off each other, which greatly impressed us. Mm. So he came to power as the vassal for the Ottomans. By the end, he is the power in the area, controlling the Ottomans. Very impressive. Uh, The capital is sieged once more at one point, but Manuel manages to play the princes off each other once more, so they call off the siege. And by the end, his son, John VIII, who was looking very fabulous... (laughs) He was calling the shots and went against Manuel's wishes, but Manuel was too old and ill by this point to do anything about it. Yeah. And then he dies of a stroke. See, when you condense the whole story down into that, that sounds very impressive. Oh, yeah. Manuel, too, deserved Genesis-Cesar. We were impressed with it. Like I think I said at the time, I wasn't expecting the Paleologos to have that many good emperors. There were a good few in there. It wasn't like the Angelos dynasty where you could really see the fall of Constantinople coming yeah. because it was a bit useless. Paleologos lot, not too bad. Uh, Fadius Maximus, he scored 10. Mm. Probium Crasium, 0. He was just very sensible. Successus Ultibus, 12. Maybe we were slightly harsh there. Let's say he saved the empire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but th- yeah, but it was kind of falling apart. Mm. Um which is even more yeah. impressive, in a way. Imago Facius, he scored three. Tempo Completo, 4.25 of an impressive length he ruled for. A total of 29.25, a rank of 34. I think maybe you were a little bit too harsh on Manuel. I think so, actually. I think so. Like, the Empire's on the brink of collapsing. Everyone's mm-hmm. dying, being destroyed. He keeps it. He's fingertips holding onto the the, mm. like the the edge of the trouser leg and kind of going, Yeah, and unlike his, unlike his father and unlike his brother, he refuses to give in to the Ottomans and works with the Ottomans. He just keeps fighting. Yeah. yeah. So, pretty good. Mm. Is it good enough to go through? We'll find out next. Constantine IV. Okay, we're in the Heraklion dynasty here with the father of round two's winner, Justinian II. So maybe we've got father and son going through to the semi-finals mm. if, if he can pull this off. You will probably remember Constantine IV as being the emperor who we said had a lot of executive time. Ah, yes. 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 <laughs> you called him a hidden gem. I really wasn't convinced and argued against oh. Constantine IV going through. Really? It went to a coin. I don't remember this. Yeah, and it goes <laughs> through. Okay, so here we go. He is the eldest of three brothers, born to the emperor Constance II, the guy with the beard. Yeah. Uh, He was made co-emperor at the age of two. When he was ten, he was left in charge of the capital while his father went west to settle Africa and Italy. It was in the early times where Italy and Africa were still in the empire, Jamie. (laughs) Wow. We then covered a story of Andrew who headed off to talk to the caliph. Do you remember Andrew? He had uh, his pens in his shirt. Oh, yeah. Clipboard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had a clipboard. He was not a man to be messed with. No. It was a really fun story, but I'm not going to recount it here because it's not Constantine. Yeah. Um, but it was a good story. He goes he goes to the caliph and he deals with problems there, and it's really good. Uh, when Constantine was 18 years old, he heard his father had been soap-dished to death in Sicily. Like bash the head of the soap-dish. Yes, whilst in the baths. Oh, yeah. yes. 
We liked it because it really reminded us of the deaths early in season one. Mm. We're in Italy, someone murders someone, you're not sure. Yeah, it was good stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the whole family enjoyed it. Uh, anyway, so Constantine is now the emperor. Uh, he possibly headed straight to Sicily and put the revolt down that started up and then headed back home. The sources are so light in this period of time, we don't know if he actually did that or not. Uh, he was then politically pressured to crown his two brothers co-emperors, something mm-hmm. he did not want to do. But the pressure was being piled upon him, so he got all his advisors together who were advising him strongly, this yeah. is the powerful and the, uh, the city, and he told his advisors slash generals that he's got a slightly better idea. Why don't I just kill you all so yeah. I can be sole emperor? <laughs> there you go. I'm not a fan of that plan. Let's, no, um, no, maybe... Plan B? Maybe... Maybe Plan C, your soul yeah. emperor, we don't die, and your brothers, your brothers are what? We can't just leave them there, can we? No, no let's cut the noses off the brothers. Ow. Yeah, so noses go. Then the caliphate start to build up forces to have a good old siege. Largest force in the city's history then turn up to take the capital, or at least up until this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was end of empire stuff. If they fall, the empire's gone. But, however, Constantine pulled out a secret weapon. Was it a surrender note? No. Uh, this was a weapon from back in Anastasius's day. Greek fire. Yeah, this is the first real time we see Greek fire. The uh, references in Anastasius's times, it's not really clear. Is that Greek fire they're talking about? Maybe it was, maybe it's not. Um, but here, yeah, this is definitely Greek fire being used, possibly uh, for the first time. Uh, but maybe it's been ar- wa- around for a while and mm-hmm. we're just not sure. But anyway, Greek fire being used, uh, this was a huge surprise. And because of the... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it was... Well, because of the Greek fire, the empire held out against the uh, caliphate for five years. The caliphate thought they had this in the bag. It was a huge force. And no, they just They were just on fire. Well, they couldn't take the sea because Greek fire. Um, The empire wins and the caliphate are forced to pay slaves, horses and money to say sorry for trying to invade. (laughs) And a note. (laughs) We are sorry for trying to invade. (laughs) Constantine then turns his attention to the Bulgars and the Slavs. So he fights personally against them in a battle, which is nice, personal yeah. fighting. Uh, but then he gets a bit gouty and he had to rest. Yeah. This unfortunately started a rumour that he was dead and his army all fled. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> not great. So the Bulgars no. win. The Bulgars win, so they decide to settle on the land that they'd just won and called it Bulgaria. Oh. There we go. The Bulgars are well and truly settled now at this point. Constantine was humiliated and was forced to pay the Bulgars to protect their borders. No. Um, and then the whole single will thing pops up again. Yeah. How would they learn? <laughs> the Sixth Ecumenical Council is called, and it was decided that, get this right, Christ has two separate wills and two natural energies without division, alteration, separation, or confusion. You got that? There's no confusion, everyone. Absolutely and that's not. canon now. No one's allowed to be confused. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So that was decided, and then Constantine that catches. Sounds like they organised that with healing crystals. Like, oh, the vibrations and energy—it must mean they're. Oh, too... uh, the single world yeah. stuff was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Constantine then catches uh, dysentery and then dies. Ooh. Yeah. That's like diarrhea about both ends. 
Oh, yes, it's very, very bad. Yeah. Now, in the next episode, I did say during editing, maybe you were correct in saying Genesis are, and maybe I shouldn't have taken it to the coin. However, putting this together, <laughs> I'm struggling to see it still. I mean, there was some good stuff, don't get me wrong. Greek yeah. fire was good. Yeah. He managed to... He saved. Yeah, he saved uh, the, the city in the siege. Uh, that's really good. Uh, he was personally fighting, which is good. Yeah. End of days. Oh, the... It was almost the end of days. Yeah, he chopped his brother's noses off, so some yeah. opprobrium crasium there. He, but... he he created Bulgaria unintentionally. Yeah, but is it Gene César? Uh, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it is. But is it worthy of going through this I... round? I mean, already I'm thinking, comparing to Manuel 2, no. Mm, well, let me give you the scores, because just to remind you, Manuel 2 was ranked 34th. Mm. Constantine 4 ranked 17. He got really? F- yeah, he got 15 for a fightiest Maximus. He was a very fighty emperor. So he scores high there. He got 3 for a Probium Crasium, chopping his brother's noses off, and that yeah. was about it. 14 for Successor Saltibus. He saved the city mm. using Greek fire. You're going to score high on that. Yeah. He got two for Imago Facius. Tempo Completo, a reasonable 2.13, giving him a total of 36.13. 17th overall. Higher than I expected. <laughs> yeah, it is higher than I expected. And he got Genesis R. He's through. But like, like you say, just comparing these first two, I mean, we're not deciding just yet, but I'm leaning more Manuel than Constantine. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Okay, but what about the next one, Leo 1? Leo. Leo Uno. 457 to 518. Look how small those dates are, Jamie. Oh, they're still in three digits, bless. Because we are right back at the start. Leo is the first emperor we covered in season two. Back when yeah. we thought we might struggle for Genesis R winners because we didn't know any better. Nope. And we were just glad we got one right off the bat, which was mm. nice. So, born way back in 401, Jamie. I almost said 14 then. 401. That's over a thousand years. Yeah, yeah. We have just jumped... That's insane. We've just jumped a thousand years from uh, Manuel II. Wow. Yeah. So, to Manuel II, Leo had been ancient. That's crazy. Yeah, Yeah, to Manuel II, it would have been like William the Conqueror's to us right now. Wow, wow. Yeah, history, yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, well, time is weird. <laughs> time is weird. <laughs> Don't know much about his early life. He joined the army. He rose through the ranks. That's what we know about Leo. The then we skip all the way to 457. So, yes, we don't know anything about him until he's in his mid to late 50s. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And then Marcion dies. Marcion was at episode 76. Episode of series one. From season one. Yeah. yeah. Marcion dies. Now, this was, if you remember, a time of puppet emperors and the power behind the throne. No, none of the emperors we were covering at this time had any power. And the current power in the East was a man who you might remember called Aspar. Aspar, yes. Yes. Now, Aspar chose a man loyal to him to be his next puppet emperor, and this was a general called Leo. Now, during this time, all the chaos of the end of season one is happening. So those last fall of the West emperors. Yeah. That is all happening throughout all of Leo's reign. In particular, Majorian and Rickamer was going on as Leo comes to the throne. Mm. Yes, Rickamer. Remember Rickamer? Rickamer, yeah. Oh, Majorian with his glint in his teeth. Oh, we've oh. gone so far back, Jamie. It's exciting. Uh, anyway, Aspar and Leo are too busy with Eastern politics to really get involved, but they support Majorian, trying to get Africa back and all of that stuff. Uh, and then, in a shock move, Leo suddenly disobeyed his boss. 
because he refused to make appointments that Aspar had recommended. And Aspar at this point grabs Leo by his robes and says that it was not proper for emperors to go against their word. As in, look, Mm. you're working for me here. I appointed you as emperor so you would make these appointments. Mm. Leo replied, and this was the quote that swung his Genesis are, quote, nor is it proper that a prince should be compelled to resign his own judgment and the public interest to the will of a subject. Oh. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And from then on, the rest of the rule is a power struggle between Aspar and Leo. Leo sets up a whole new guard. He doesn't trust his personal guard because they're loyal to Aspar, so he gets a bunch of Isaurians that would be loyal to him. Mm. which uh, paves way eventually to the Isaurian dynasty. And then instead of betrothing his daughter to Aspar's son, which was the original arrangement, he betroths her to Taradissa Rossumbladidites, if you remember him. <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, we did a whole episode on him because obviously he changes his name to Zeno. Yeah. So what was his original emperor. name again? Tarasiskadissa Rossumbladidites. Tarasiskadlossumbladidites. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I did learn how to pronounce that, and I used his full name throughout the whole thing until he changed his name, just because I enjoyed saying that. <laughs> um, so anyway, so Zeno is now his son-in-law. Things are ticking along uncomfortably. It's a lot of tension. Uh, news comes through that the Western Emperor Majorian is now dead, and the entire women population and and a good chunk of the men were weeping mm-hmm. uh, because Majorian's mm-hmm. dead. Uh, anyway, uh, Rickamer has set up his own emperor, Severus III. Yeah. Uh, then a huge fire burns down a large part of Constantinople, which was a shame. Uh, Leo then diplomatically gets Dalmatia back into the empire. Remember, at this point, empire had split between the east and the west, but that middle bit, that Dalmatian coast, was kind of independent, but kind of western. But then they go, oh, actually, we'll be eastern. So there you go. He's got a little bit more of the empire. Hey, great. Which is nice. Uh, He then sent envoys to Africa to meet the Vandals. This is back in season one again, Mm. so you may have forgotten, but do you remember Gesseric? Yes. Yeah, Gesseric was... I recognise the name. Oh, he was was the big bad in so many episodes, because he lasted a while and the Roman emperors were being knocked over like dominoes. Uh, So Gesseric was there for ages. And Gesseric, leader of the Vandals, had kidnapped some of the women from the Western royal family. Uh, the Western Roman emperors have been trying to get this these women back for ages and not getting anywhere. So Leo simply sent envoys over to Africa, bypassing Italy and Ravenna completely, and these envoys turn up to Gesseric and say, tell you what, give us the women and we will recognise your son's marriage to Eudocia, one of the women there. Okay. So you will be married into the royal family, but like, give them back. Fair enough, says Gesseric. So there you go. Leo wins the women back, something the Western Roman emperors have not been able to do for quite some time. And he doesn't send them back home. He brings them to Constantinople, just to prove a point. Aspar's sons then attempt a coup that we get very little detail on, but Aspar's sons are arrested at this point. Leo then attempts to get Africa back into the empire, and he puts his brother-in-law in charge of the invasion. It was a disaster. Falls yeah, apart yeah, completely. Yeah. Possibly partly due to this, the politics shift, and Aspar is able to have his son declared heir. The people hate this, and riots start. Things are very unsettled for a while. 
Rumours of coups were abound, and then one day Leo had had enough and just ordered that Aspar and his son be cut down with swords where they stood by his own guard. So they are just brutally murdered in the street. Nice. Just, Just like that. Leo gets his nickname from this action, Leo the Butcher. Oh... Which, if you want um, a nickname, that's the nickname you want. It's a cool nickname. And also, you've got to think, if out of 170 emperors, we've only got Leo the Butcher. No one yeah. else has a nickname like no, that. And that's cool. you've got to wonder if some of the other emperors are a little bit annoyed. Yeah. So, oh, I'm, he did I'm what? Michael he killed, the Kind. He killed two people and he gets to be called the Butcher. I, I kill 30,000 people. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all I get is the Great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Anyway, some internal politics then occur with the East and the West. Uh, Leo, at this point, quite possibly orders the assassination of Rickimer. Uh, We did a whole thing on that in season one about whether that was really him or not, and it was a fun who-did-it story. Uh, And then he gets ill, and he dies. The main reason why we gave Jeanne César to Leo is that he was the end of the puppet emperors. So many puppet emperors, and Leo was the first one to come along and go, no, Mm. I'm emperor. And it works, because after that, you've got real emperors again. Yeah. And we he's don't he's really like a reset see. button, isn't he? Yeah, um, which is quite nice because he's the start of yeah. season two. It works quite yeah. nice in that way. And we see a couple of poppity emperors in the Macedonian dynasty, but generally there aren't any more poppet emperors again for quite some time. So, yeah, Jeanne Caesar. Uh, he scored 12 for Phidias Maximus, 1 for Probium Crasium, 12 for Successus Ultimus, 3 for Imago Facius, 2.13 for Tempo Completo. He comes 31st. With a score of 30.13. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I really like just remembering the end of season one. <laughs> yeah. Fun time. Yeah. Is is he worthy to go through? I don't know, because we're about to talk about the two big ones, aren't we? Well, now we're about to talk about the two big ones. So let's go to Andronicus, shall we? Andronicus. Okay. going to try and be as quick as possible here, because trying to condense Andronicus down was tough. But I really didn't feel like I could leave bits out. No. You'll see why. Well, see if you can do it in ten words. Go. I can't do it in ten words. <laughs> I can't do Andronicus it in ruled ten from words. 1183 to 1185. That's right. It's it's a two and a bit year rule. That's it. Wow. That's very short. <laughs> yeah. He must have done a lot then. Okay. How well do you remember Andronicus out of interest? Uh, I recognise the name. Yeah, it's all going to come flooding back to you. Okay. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Right. As we're saying, that we're finishing off with the two common loss emperors, the first and the last in the, in the dynasty, and we start with the last. The year that Alexius I dies, his grandson Andronicus is born in 1118, which makes me realise I've been saying the common loss are impressive because they've got a grandfather, a father and a son, or Genesis are winners, but it's actually more impressive than that because two grandsons of Alexius I got Genesis are. Well, yeah, good point. Yeah. So... He's born in 1118. Andronicus was the nephew of the emperor and the cousin of the future Manuel I, who we have already covered in the rounds, who unfortunately did not go through. He doesn't care, though. It's fine. Yeah, he doesn't care. Andronicus was said to be a bit of a card, shall we say. He was fun-loving. He was carefree. The first we hear from him is when he is kidnapped by the Turks in his 20s. His newly appointed emperor cousin, Manuel I, refuses to pay the ransom because it's a distraction. Manuel is trying to get back to the capital in a rush before his brother declares himself emperor. So Manuel's not going to stick around to ransom his cousin. So Andronicus spends a year imprisoned, but then eventually was freed. He then returns to Constantinople, probably unhappy with his cousin. 
We next see Andronicus a few years later leading an army for his cousin. He battles the Armenians but loses. So that's a shame. Uh, he comes back to the capital and he starts sleeping with the Emperor's niece. Oh. Yes. Something that really annoyed Manuel. <laughs> You're sleeping with my niece, he said. <laughs> Please stop. Uh, Yes, Andronicus pointed out very publicly that Manuel was sleeping with his own niece, so he was just following the Emperor's example. Oh, oh. Yeah. You, so was Manuel impressed with that or annoyed? Oh, I'd be no. Impressed. No, 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 not no. at all. No, okay. Manuel was not happy. <laughs> no. Um, then, one night, in a tent, so a hunting party, I'm guessing, the family members of Eudocia, that, that is the niece, by the way, attempt to catch Andronicus and Eudocia at it so they can exile Andronicus. There's no proof at the moment, just rumour. So if they can catch him in the act, they can exile this annoying Andronicus and get him the hell away from Eudocia, who he has just seduced. So they silently surround the tent where they're at it. (laughs) And they're ready to grab him as he comes out. However, Eudocia heard about the plot from one of her family members, so tells Andronicus what's going on. She suggested he dresses up as a washerwoman and sneaks out, but he refuses. No, I'm not dressing up as a washerwoman. It's walk instead, out naked. Well, no, instead what he does, because his family members are all hovering outside the front of the tent, ready ready to jump on him. Andronicus inside the tent, and I'm thinking big tent here, it's not just like a little yeah. triangular tent. He whips out his sword, cuts a hole in the side of the tent, and just runs out and jumps a fence and legs it into the dark. <laughs> And uh, his family, uh, the family of Eudocia, just uh, taken by surprise, and that's it. Andronicus is gone. They are unable to prove it. I believe at this point you started using uh, Lord Flashheart references around this oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, instead, Eudocia's family go to the Emperor and say, look, this guy is awful. You think he's awful. We think he's plotting a coup. Manuel is more than happy to believe this. Maybe Andronicus was plotting a coup. We don't know. But we do know he was thrown into a cell. And this cell was up a tower, not in a dungeon. Up a tower in the palace complex. He stayed there for four years. Manacled. This isn't pleasant, not house arrest. He is in manacles for four years. Until one day, the door is open to his cell and no one's inside it. He's just gone. He had spent the last How? four years... Oh, you really have forgotten his episode, no, haven't have. you? He had spent the last four years removing the mortar from the floor tiles. And he had managed to lift up the tiles and found a disused passageway underneath. So he gets in there and puts the tiles back after him. And that just like that, he's gone. He's disappeared. It's a bit like Shawshank Redemption. Was there a it's poster exactly, on the top? exactly what you said. It's a we massive... talked about yes, <laughs> Shawshank yes. Redemption in this episode. I'm so predictable. Just a big, <laughs> just a big poster of Rita Hayworth on the side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, a citywide search is made. No one can find him whatsoever. So they arrest his wife, thinking his wife might know where he is. <laughs> You'll do. You're basically him. Yeah. And they throw her into his old cell. They still can't find him. <laughs> it turns out, however, that Andronicus hadn't managed to get anywhere. He'd gone into this disused passageway that was underneath his uh, pres- prison cell, but there was no way out. Mm. So eventually, finding himself stuck, he doesn't want to starve to death in this area, so he just gets back into his old cell again. And who's <laughs> there waiting for him? His wife. Brilliant. Brilliant. So they do it for a bit. Oh, why not? Yeah, pass the time. <laughs> yeah. And then he decides to try and escape for a second time. So he goes back out the hole again. 
just think I might miss something. Yeah, but no, it, it doesn't work. He's caught and he's thrown into a different cell this time. Oh. So prison escape number one doesn't work. A few more years pass and he's still there. Uh, he slowly starts to pretend to be ill. So to look after him, a young boy was put in charge of just general changing the sheets, giving him a sponge bath, stuff like that. And he uses his plentiful charms that he's got to persuade the boy to help him escape. The plan was for the boy to make a wax impression of the guard's keys whilst the guard was drunk, and then get Andronicus's son to make a copy of the key using the wax impression. Classic stuff. This works perfectly. On top of this, <laughs> small bits of twine were being smuggled into the cell in the wine jugs. So slowly but surely, Andronicus is making himself a rope out of small bits of twine. How long do you think it took him to realise that there was twine in the wine? Well, he's, he's drinking it and going... <coughs> <laughs> like Probably, pulling out a rope yeah. from his throat, like, bloody hell, what's this? <laughs> Lots of little flags on it. Yeah. <laughs> like a magic trick. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, one night, um, Andronicus unlocks his own cell using the key that's been made for him, and then he heads to a window in the tower, and then he uses the rope, see, he's learned from last time, he's got rope this time, and he lets himself down the side of the tower, and he hides himself in a bush for several days just outside the prison tower. Citywide search goes on again, no one can find him, he's in a bush just outside the tower the whole that's time. brilliant. Then he makes his way to a waiting boat where some guards see him, and go, you there, stop. So he pretends to be a runaway slave and speaks in broken Greek, uh, as if he doesn't understand the language. Fortunately, they're really close to the boat that was due to pick him up, and the person who was picking him up was within earshot and was quick on the uptake, because he jumps out of his boat and goes, oh, thank you, you found my runaway slave. Here, have some money. So they managed to get away from the guards. Very nice, so he's free. So he decides to head to Kiev, uh, but he is picked up on the way by a local lord. Oh no, he's been arrested again. <laughs> so they're going to take him to the capital, but on the way back to the capital, he goes, oh dear, I'm suffering from diarrhoea. I'm going to have to pop round this bush. So they let him <laughs> They let him go around the back of the bush, and it's okay because they keep peering round and they can see the silhouette of him. He's still there. He's definitely still there. But he's taking a very long time. And eventually they go round and go, oi, hurry up. And they realise it's just a cloak being propped up with a stick. And, in, a, uh, in a very remarkable squatting impression. Yeah, exactly. He, does, he has escaped again. He makes it all the way to Kiev and then he gets word from Manuel, which is basically says, fine, all is forgiven, come back, in a keep your enemies close kind of way. I don't yeah. want you in another city where you can start a rebellion. <laughs> come back, you can be in the court, you don't have to be in a cell. So he comes back to the court, but things run easy. Him and Manuel hate each other. Uh, he's, Andronicus immediately starts causing trouble for the emperor. You can uh, imagine so, the way he walks in, like, hey guys, hey, I'm back, yep, hey, Manuel, definitely. love you. Then, he is sent off to fight the Armenians once more, and he loses to them, just like he did last time. Mm. Unless this is confusion in the sources and it happened twice, we're not sure. But we get more detail this time. Uh, just as the Armenian leader was mopping up the battlefield, the Romans had definitely lost. Andronicus thinks, I've, I, I'm not having this, I don't want to lose this battle. So he jumps on his horse and he rides across the battlefield, where all the troops are just in the tidying up phase of the battle. Uh, he takes everyone by surprise, so much so that he manages to get past the bodyguard of the Armenian leader, and he gets into a spear throw of him. He throws the spear, and the spear hits the Armenian general in the chest. Now, unfortunately for Andronicus, 
the guy was wearing chainmail and it doesn't kill him. But everyone oh. was mightily impressed. Yes. Oh, well done. Even the even the even the general. So that yeah. actually quite impressive. Yeah. Anyway, Andronicus has had enough at this point. He doesn't want to be in Constantinople anymore. He's had enough of Manuel, so he decides to move to Antioch. Antioch at this time was a vassal state of the empire. Uh, and due to various political deals that have happened recently, Manuel's sister-in-law happened to be in the city. Andronicus entered the city and immediately started to get to know Manuel's sister-in-law, endangering all sorts of political deals, because she was there betrothed to someone else. I hope it was literally immediately. Like, walk through the city, trousers oh, yes. down, went right Manuel's in. sister-in-law, let us kiss with tongues, he said. <laughs> Anyway, Manuel <laughs> let Andronicus know that this isn't on, and he sent someone to the city to make sure it really wasn't on. Andronicus gets the message, and it's like, there might be an assassination attempt if I keep this up. Fine, I'll go even further, he thinks. I'll go to Jerusalem instead. Now, it just so happens that Jerusalem was currently almost a vassal state of the empire, and due to various political deals, Manuel's niece happened to be in the city. Oh, Andronicus entered the city <laughs> and, and immediately niece. started to get to know Manuel's niece. Yeah. This is a different niece from earlier, by the way. Endangering all sorts of political deals yet again. Right, Manuel's had enough at this point. Yeah, <laughs> he orders yeah. he orders Andronicus' capture and his eyes to be removed. Andronicus gets wind of this and him and the niece run away to Trebizond together. They stay there for a few years and they have children together. Ah, isn't that nice? Yeah. Then... The niece, whose name is Theodora, is kidnapped and sent to Constantinople with the children. Andronicus writes to Manuel, Fine, I'll give myself in. I'll come back. Please don't hurt my family. So he goes to Constantinople. There is a tense meeting. It is decided that they wipe the slate clean. Let's not make a martyr out of Andronicus. Let's just say all is forgiven. But seriously, Andronicus, get out. Go to Trebizond. Just stay away. Do you think they gave them like one of these little crotch cages, just like to, <laughs> yes. like a chastity belt? Yeah, that's the one. Um, then Manuel dies, and his child son Alexios II comes to power. Alexios II, the only Komnenos who did not get Jenny Caesar, and it's not really his fault. Andronicus decides now's the time to take the throne. Child's on the on the throne. That's not going to work. So Andronicus used the fact that Manuel's like of the West had annoyed a lot of people in the city to his advantage. He used the resentment to build up a base in the city, and many defected to Andronicus. Long story short, he gets into the city, he takes over. According to our source, he visited the tomb of Manuel and whispered abuse to him whilst the onlookers thought he was mourning his cousin. <laughs> I hate you. Well, I'm just going to do the quote because it is amazing. <laughs> and now this marble with its seven clusters of ivy holds you as a prison from which there is no escape while you sleep. The sleep from which there is no waking until the last trumpet is sounded. I shall fall upon your family like a lion pouncing on the prey, and I shall exact fitting revenge for the injuries I have sustained in your hands. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So that happened. Uh, and then things are not good in the city. Andronicus rewards his defenders and he and purges his detractors. He absolutely yeah. punishes those loyal to Alexios too. Things get a bit purgy. Mm. He declares himself emperor rather than just being the protector of the boy emperor, which he'd said to begin with. Um, and then he had um, Alexios too strangled with a bowstring. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so he just murders his nephew there, the emperor. 
Nicaea then revolts because this isn't good and becomes a beacon for all those who are opposed Andronicus's tyranny. So Andronicus rides out to take the city, but they he couldn't do it. It was a tough city to crack, and they're mocking him from the walls. The future emperor Isaac II was leading things there, yeah. so Andronicus orders Isaac II's mother be brought forth, <gasps> and he ties her, yes! her to the battering ram. Yes, Grond. Yes. Get me off here, <laughs> <Yeah>. you buggers. <laughs> Grond. I'm not messing around. Well, the mother was rescued in a daring night raid, which is good. And eventually, however, uh, the city does fall and Andronicus orders a lot of hands to be chopped off, a lot of eyes to be (laughs) removed, and those who were executed were left swinging in the sun, not allowed to be buried. Nice. Things were unstable in the capital. He blinds his own son-in-law when someone else suggested that they use him in a plot to coup. So his son-in-law is not cooing. Someone else said we should use his son-in-law as a figurehead. So Andronicus blinds his own son-in-law. His daughter is not happy about this at all. (laughs) Uh, Then... Andronicus is told a prophecy that a man named Isaac would succeed him. Now, there was a a Comnenus Isaac out there, but he was really far away. But that's who Andronicus thought the prophecy was about. But just to be sure, let's just arrest all the Isaacs, he thinks. So he orders the arrest of Isaac, the one who was in Nicaea, whose mum he strapped around the the battering ram. Um, (laughs) He's not going to hold a grudge. No. The next thing that Andronicus knows is that that particular Isaac, who wasn't about to coup, by the way, until the arrest warrant was put out, is now in the Hagia Sophia, declaring himself emperor. Seeing the mob on Isaac's side, Andronicus runs, but he was captured. Isaac had Andronicus' hands cut off. He was then blinded, rode around through the streets on a donkey, where he was stoned. He was then strung upside down, naked, whilst he was slowly stabbed to death. And that is the rule of Andronicus. That is, without a doubt, the best story we've ever told. Now, I'm not sure why, and again, maybe we were just going through a busy time and, and stuff. It wasn't uh, the easiest of time putting the podcast together when we came across Andronicus, I remember that. Putting this together, I I was just shocked at how good that is. I, that was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, that it's is just... Everything. It's got everything. It's got everything. Hands cut off. Mother's being strapped things. to battering rounds. Yeah, yes, yes. The only well. thing that's missing is a duck. <laughs> Well, Andronicus scored 11 for Phytius Maximus. Uh, he scored 20 for Opromium Crasium. He scored 5 for Successus Ultimus, 4 for Imagofacius, a 0.25 for Tempo Completo, a very impressive in the 40s club, 40.25, ranking him 8th overall. And let's face it, he's going through today, isn't he? Oh, he is going through. Yeah. Yeah. It's now, it's now deciding whether he's 1 or 2. Yes, well, we've got one more to go, so let's do it. Alexios. So now we are to Andronicus's grandfather and the start of the Komnenos dynasty. And we start with the chaos that was the end of the Macedonian dynasty. So remember, this is when the sisters Zoe and Theodora are in charge, with all the men coming and going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when Alexios was ten, his uncle was one of those men, and that uncle became emperor. But Uncle Isaac died soon after, and Alexios's father did not become the emperor as was planned, because Celus helped Constantine X Ducas get on the throne instead. Celus. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, they were in the time of Salus. Yeah. Uh, then Constantine Ten dies, and Eudocia earns her Gene César by getting Romanos on the throne, which we covered in one of the previous rounds. Yeah. Uh, Alexios, by this point, is rising through the ranks in the army. The Comnenus family supported Eudocia's power play, so the Comnenus family are rewarded by the new ruling family and Romanos. Then Manzikert happens. Remember, this is the big battle that the Romans lose, and it has a huge impact. They struggled to recover from this for a long time. Lots of people say this is the turning point downfall of the Empire, but I must admit, covering all of Roman history, I don't kind of see it that way, but that's a conversation for another time. Mm. Anyway, Manzikert happens, the Ducas family used this to get power back, and Michael Seven gets on the throne. However, the feud between the Ducas and the Komnenos family settled down at this point, and the Komnenos family are able to stay in some sort of uh, position of influence. Alexios is given a job by the Emperor, which is tracked down the mercenary called Roussel. Oh, Roussel. Uh, yeah, which he does, which is all very good. <laughs> Here he uh, is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Check behind the sofa. <laughs> oh. uh, then two men called Nikephoros revolt at the same time, and Alexios is called up to stop them. Uh, he manages to stop one revolt, but then he defects and supports the other one. So one of these Nikephoros becomes Nikephoros III, and Alexios becomes his trusted general. Alexios also starts to get to know the Emperor's new wife, Maria, at this point. That's such such a dangerous game to play. It's such a dangerous game to play. Also, Maria was the ex-wife of Constantine X as well. All sorts of palace intrigue going on. (laughs) Drawing pillow talk, Alexios and uh, Maria hatch a plot. I think you could be Emperor. Well, Maria would adopt Alexios, making him the son... Yeah, I know, a bit weird. Oh. Making him the <laughs> son of the emperor and the heir. Yeah. During all of this, Alexios is fighting battles, and he's definitely the leading general in the empire. By this time, Nikephoros III is old and ill. So Alexios and his elder brother, Isaac, decide now's the time to go for the coup. When word comes through that the Normans were planning to invade with the impressive Robert Guscard uh, leading them, they decide, yeah, we definitely need to do it now before the Normans come along. We want to be in charge rather than Nikephoros. Now, by this point, Alexios has married a Ducas girl. Uh, this was a young girl. Uh, yeah. like, I don't think she was... Not in my notes. I think she was about 11, 12 at the Bloody time. Bloody hell. Oh, yeah, this was purely political. It was to right, tie the okay. Komnenos and the Ducas family together. That's all it was. And then he uses this tie to gain their support... So you've got the Komnenai and the Ducas families together for a change, so he is able to simply walk in the city and take the throne. Once emperor, he moves Maria into the palace, and he moves the small Ducas child out, obviously. And it's like he wants his his actual partner to be yeah. with him, not a small child. Yeah. However, the Ducas family were outraged by this. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> you are not getting rid of her. She is right. the empress. That Your child will be a adjoining of the two families. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the Ducas used their family ties to the patrician to ha- to put pressure on Alexios. He relents, he crowns Irene, the small child, and he carries on seeing Maria, but she has to go and live in the palace that is built for the mistresses. You remember there was a mistress <laughs> palace at one point? Yeah, so Maria goes there. 
Anyway, Alexios then goes out to fight the Normans. Uh, Robert and his son Beamond are leading the Normans. We get lots of stories of his fighting, but the Normans are very powerful at this time and they take a big chunk out of the West. Robert then goes back to deal with the problems caused in the West by the Western Roman Emperor at the time, Henry IV. Mm. Uh, But his son Beamond stays behind. Alexios loses a couple of battles to Beamond, but on the third battle, he flees the battlefield just as he had before. Beamond rushes to follow to take advantage, but it was a ruse, Jamie. Alexios was able to swing round, ambush Beamond, and defeat the Normans. Huzzah. Huzzah. Yes, several more victories follow, and Alexios gets back pretty much all the land that was originally lost to the Normans. However, Robert Guscard was uh, back on his way with an even bigger army, and things were looking bad until Robert suddenly got ill and died. Huzzah! Yay! Huzzah! Alexios was then forced to deal with the Pekenics. It did not go well. He was forced to pay them off. It was all very embarrassing. And then the Turks start causing trouble. Anatolia at this time was called the Sultanate of Rum, mm. and the Sultan had contacted the Pekenics. If we both invade from either side at the same time, the Roman Empire will fall, won't it? Should we do it? Yeah, yeah. says the Pekenics. So Alexios then writes to the Cumans. The Cumans were a nomadic people related to the Bacchanics. If we give you a huge amount of cash, will you come and help us fight? Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, they say yes. So due to this, Alexios was, be- was able to surprise the Bacchanic forces and wipe them off the map. Wow. Yes, never I hear remember the- that. Yeah, we never hear of the Bacchanics again. Yeah. I mean, this was a huge victory. That was It was just gone. It, they are just gone. This was with the Bacchanics as well, because they, they kind of go on to battle with like, yeah, we're going to kill Cousin Alfie? What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they really were not expecting it. So, yeah. yeah, Mark, they're gone. He then uses this force to take back all the Greek islands that they'd recently lost, so he's making more gains. And he writes a few letters that um, stirred up trouble in the internal politics of the Turks. So he uses some diplomacy to slow the Turks down. Uh, the threat of the Sultanate was then put down. Right. Uh, then the, the Cumans revolted the mercenaries that he hired. So that's annoying. So he was forced into battle against them, but he wins, mm-hmm. which is good. And then he decides he was going to take Antolia back from the Sultanate. Right. He'd gone after Manzikert. So to get more troops, he can't use the Cumans. He's just defeated them in battle. So he writes to the Pope. How about... You send us some mercenaries. We're all Christians, so let's put our differences apart. We can uh, go and get Anatolia back. I'll pay. Just send me some troops. The Pope liked this idea too much. (laughs) He said no to the mercenaries. I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to do you one better, Alexios. I'm going to band together as many Christians as possible, put together a giant army, and take the entire Holy Land back. We will call it... The First Crusade. Yay! <laughs> yes. Alexios was horrified by this. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just want some mercenary troops. I don't want a whole army to come through my yeah. land and just storm through it, ripping it apart on their way. But he had no choice. The First Crusade had already started. First of all, the People's Crusade turn up. This was the poor who had got a bit overexcited when they were, like, trying to get support for the Crusade. <laughs> Is this like... <laughs> A group of, like, Baptists, like a little church group there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's, it's just... <laughs> Cups of tea. Oh, this looks splendid. But Not realising the danger they're in. 
People have gone around Europe going, come on, let's go and do a crusade. Let's raise money for our knights to go and fight with a trained army. But everyone was so excited by the idea. Uh, Lots of people didn't wait for the armies. They just went off anyway. Uh, This was a rabble, basically. Anyway, they turn up. They cross the empire. Alexios puts lots of food out for them on the journey so they wouldn't loot. But they loot anyway, obviously. Uh, Those that survive get to the capital. They weren't punished for any looting because Alexios realises if he kills a bunch of French and German peasants, I mean, that's going to go down badly in the the West, isn't it? So he just waves them on, annoyed, and they are utterly slaughtered. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) slaughtered. Um, Anyway, (laughs) Then uh, the Prince's Crusade then happened, the actual crusade with the fighters. Uh, This was made of four separate armies, uh, but I'm not going to go into the details here. One of them was led by Bayamond, however, the guy from earlier. Uh, Alexios is then trying to get them all to swear oaths that if you go past us and then start fighting Turks, uh, you do have to give our land back. You can't keep it for yourselves. Yes, we promise. Well, yeah, there's a whole political thing that we covered in the thing. Uh, eventually, he sort of gets some promises. The yeah. armies pass on. Alexios sets up to follow them. Then things get very messy, mostly for the people living in the Middle East, but also for our podcast, uh, because the whole political map gets torn to shreds in the Middle East. Uh, people are double-crossing each other on all sorts. The map makers are in tears. They've got no idea what's going on. Is this on. a different kind of crowns? Oh, also, yeah, it's, it's just a mess. Yeah. Uh, Alexios, however, gets Anatolia back. Hooray. Mm. Um, and then, after a while, Bayamon decides to invade the Empire once more and spends a few years convincing the West that the Roman Empire is the thing holding back the advances in the Holy Land, nothing else. So he invades the Empire. Yeah. But Alexios is ready. He's ready with a fleet, and um, him f- personally leading a force, he defeats Bayamond. And then, after some trouble with the Turks, Alexios becomes ill and dies, leaving the Empire to his very impressive son, John II, who left the Empire to his very impressive son, Manuel. So there you go. And that's Alexios I. He yeah. scored 14 for Fighters Maximus, 4 for Probium Crazium, 14 for Successors Ultimus, 4 uh, for Image Facius, 4.63, an impressively long rule for the Tempo yeah. Completo. He is also in the 40 Club, 40.63, scraping him just above Andronicus in seventh place. Again, very strong, very good. Very good. Right, now you see at the start why I just said people are Mm. calling it for the common eyes here. Yeah. And let's face it, Andronicus is going through. Let's not pretend there's any suspense there. He's number one. And he's going through in number one. Right. And who is going out? Well, obviously, uh, Constantine IV is going out. Yes. Yeah, he just is going out. I would also say Leo. I, I would say Leo. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. However, I genuinely think we have a conversation between Manuel II and Alexios, uh, which might yeah. surprise a lot of people because mm. Alexios is usually considered one of the best emperors in the uh, Eastern Roman Empire, and Manuel mm. II is usually seen as an also ran someone you might remember from the Paleologos dynasty. And let's face it, Alexios II did much better. He did, hence the highest score. But Manuel too has something about him that I like. He's and this isn't who was best. No. I liked the fact that Manuel too was against the odds, against his father, his brother. The empire was falling apart. He kept being held hostage for deals, but he kept then being okay about it. And he's freed his father and... Uh, it's good stuff. He, he was thrown in prison and he escaped. as a prison escape in his story. Always good. Word for Andronicus. He, <laughs> 
Yeah, he manages to play all the uh, the the Ottoman princes against each other, which was really good. Yeah, he went to London and stopped in London for a bit. In Canterbury, you were there. Yeah, you stayed in Canterbury. the same hotel that he stayed in. Yeah, you had the same latte I mean, he had. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I do like it. I do like it. But can he can he beat Alexios one? The empire was very weak, and Alexios made it much much stronger. And he had to put up with the First Crusade going through his empire, and it didn't fall apart. That is impressive. At the same time, Manuel's emperor was empire was literally falling apart. He yeah. is clinging on by his fingernails and pulled it back, just about. It was impressive as well. Two different contexts. Yeah, it is impressive. But um, he didn't have a prison break. Mm. Did have a prison break. Uh, what else did Alexios do? Uh, Alexios Alexios was sleeping with the Emperor's wife and used that to stage a coup. That's pretty cool. That is quite hilarious in a yeah, way. Yeah, so that's pretty good. He managed to tie the Common and I and the Dukas families together. That's pretty good. Which is almost impossible at this time. And he also did some good fighting against Beaumont and the Normans. Yes. He wiped out the Bekenics. He did wipe out the mechanics. That's a good point. He, he, I mean, he saved the empire. Manuel too didn't save the empire. He just tried his best. He, he clung on. He he stretched out the agony. It's like someone on life <laughs> That's support. what he did. He put an oxygen mask on the empire for a little while. Okay, well, I think that answers it. As Have you got was, an answer? Yeah, I think Alexios. You're going for Alexios. You see, yeah. I was literally about to say Alexios too is definitely better, but I'm somehow drawn towards Manuel too. Who are you more likely to talk about? That was my question. What is this podcast about? I'm probably more likely to talk about Manuel too, but that might be my bias because I live in a country that he visited and that was quite nice. Manuel too is it is. Also, also our bias that we just love his name and we think of the Spanish guitar. Yeah, but you always oh, played it. Oh, this is far harder than I thought it would be. I think this is the hardest decision we've made yet. I genuinely okay. don't know which way to go I, here. I think we need to also... I don't mean like bow to peer pressure, but I think a but, lot of people are expecting Alexios to go through, and I would argue rightly so. He is interesting. He did amazing things. Manuel captured our imagination. He was good. He's interesting. Yeah. But I think Alexios has a little bit more. He saved the empire. Okay. Okay. I think you're right. I like the fact that this was far closer than I thought it was going to yeah. be, but I think... The initial prediction of the two Carmen and I is going to win out. Good choice. So let's let's call it. Well done, yeah. Andronicus won and Alexios won. The two Carmen and I go through to the semi-finals. Woo! Woohoo! Okay, and we are done for this week. Uh, before uh, we um, go there, let's see if the listeners agree with us. I mean, they're going to. I know they're going to. But let's let's let me just have a quick look at uh, what people are saying. I'm assuming they're going to say Andronicus first as well. Here we are round four. Uh, Andronicus and Alexios, clear winners, but... Oh, it's close. It's close. Uh, it, it's just those two, though. Uh, Manuel 2 got a couple of little votes. Leo 1 got literally only one vote. Um, Constantine 4 got none. Um, yeah. uh, it was close between Andronicus and Alexios. Uh, I yeah. don't think it is close between the two of them. I think Andronicus no. is a w- runaway winner in this round. It's not uh, even a question. There you go. It's just a, it's just a fact. 
Here's a fat. So, right, we're done. That is our two winners for this week. And that means I can reveal, Jamie, the first semi-final. Because the way it works out, we now have everyone in our first semi-final. And our first semi-final is Romanos 1, Justinian 2, Leo 3, and Alexios 1. Feel bad for Alexios now, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've got to say there's a clear favourite in that semi-final. Yeah. I think that's going to be the easiest of the semi-finals to decide. I agree. Yeah, but who knows? Who knows? We don't know till the day. And isn't it, isn't I, it a quarter-final? No, no, semi-final. These no. are technically the quarter-finals. Okay. Yeah. So just, just to be clear, we've got six uh, of these rounds <laughs> where the top two go through, and then there are three semi-finals with four contenders in. We can only choose yes. one in the semi-finals. So there are four nice. emperors. We only choose one to go to the, yes. through to the final. Excellent. The final will have three emperors in. Okay, there we go. And then okay. we just decide first, second, yeah. and third. That's, yeah. I think that's confusing me. Thank you for yes. clarifying. It's the Good. same layout as season one. We just have more emperors this time. Yeah, but that was like six more... years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That. That's a good point. Right, okay, well, we're done. Thank you very much. Don't forget about um, intelligent speech. Uh, it's coming your way. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, no. <laughs> just realised I'm saying don't forget about it as if we talked about it. We did a promo for it that this episode won't have any information in. So we yeah. should probably talk about intelligent speech. It's November the 4th. We are yeah. doing no uh, intelligent speech again this year. Uh, we did it last year. Yep. We talked about elephants. Yeah, it was really good. It was lots of fun. Um, if you go to the Intelligent Speech website uh, right now, when this comes out, you'll be able to get an early bird discount where tickets are $20. And if you use the Rankium code, you get a further 10% off that. It is November the 4th, 10am if you're in America, 3pm if you're in Usland. Uh, it- <laughs> And uh, you don't have to watch it live. You'll have access to all the videos. Loads of people are going to be there. Mm. Um, there's a lot of Rexypods uh, there this yes. year. In fact, I believe there's a panel called the Children of Rexypods, oh. which we're, we're not we're not invited to, Jamie. We're past it. What? We're uh, we're old hat. We're old news, Jamie. Yeah. Then, then surely it's the grandchildren of Rexypods. It's, it's, it's the we're next the generation. We're their sport. They're their grandchildren then. Well, no, we're Jamie, Jamie, we're so old no. now, we get lumped in with uh, Rex Factor. Uh, but we're yeah. not on their level, Rob. No, but we get lumped in with them now because we're old, Jamie. It's the next generation. Oh. We're not, we're original, naff, wobbly floorboards and scenery. <laughs> uh, the next lot are coming up. They're next generation. They've got, like, better plots, less racism, better <laughs> aliens. It's it's amazing. <laughs> but we do Star Trek, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so, um, yeah, what I'm trying to say is, uh, yeah, come along to Intelligent Speech. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. We should probably sign off now, shouldn't we? Yeah. Okay, we will see you next time for round five. Oh, it's all getting exciting. It is. Escape this. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. And this is the BBC's coverage of the chariot races. 
Hello, welcome to round five of the chariot races. I'm Winston Featheringway. And I'm Cuthbert Manbatten, and here we are on another glorious day, here to see the chariot races. I must say I'm awfully glad to be on this side of the stadium again after the recent thunderstorm. We have got an old booth back with a fantastic view. I can only apologize yet again for the way that our broadcast was sent out last week. Beyond our control, but I'm sure you discerning listeners understand. I do promise no interruptions this week. No Americans. And here we are, straight away. All of our contestants are lining up, ready to start. And it's a glorious sight. It is quite a glorious sight. Although the more unusual sight is Andronicus. I believe he's been winched up high and placed into a large container of piranha. Yes, it has been decided that Andronicus will not be racing. I repeat, Andronicus will not be racing due to lewd conduct, it says here. Lewd, Winston. We can only speculate, but I'd rather not. I think lots of things. Uh, oh, God, Winston. Sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, back to the race. Uh, he's, he's just been handcuffed and he's now been dipped headfirst into the piranha tank. The piranha tank is being suspended 15 meters into the air in the center of the stadium. The track is looping around it in a giant donut shape. Well, you say donuts, Winston, it's more, more long if you've not seen one in real life. It's like a long, long... If you've seen Ben-Hur, you'll understand. Uh, of course. In that case, a very long stretch donut. He is hanging in the center away from everything. Yes, the center wall, for those of you who want to know, are obviously called the spinner. That is a very fastly found Wikipedia fact there. Thank you, Cuthbert. No problem. As we can see, Andronicus is now suspended, completely manacled, upside down, underwater, with piranhas and four, no, now five guards standing with spears nearby. He will not, I repeat, not be racing. But who is this who will be racing, Winston? Well, in the first row we have Alexios. Alexios is a fine chariot there. Uh, go faster stripes, four spikes on each wheel, and uh, generally very impressive. Four horses, it's going to be a chariot to beat. I agree with you. I think this is the one to beat. And next we have Leo. Leo has six horses to be able to pull the slightly larger chariot because he will be sharing his chariot with none other than Aspar. Aspar is also racing with Leo. Controversial? Yes. Is it happening? Yes. And in the third row we have Constantine Four, Looking marvellous. Looking marvellous. He is just on horseback. No chariot. But he does appear to be carrying a, a kerosene tank with a large hose protruding from the side. I look forward to seeing how that is used. Yes, is that, is that a large bellows under his arm there? It does look like a large bellows. So I can only assume that there is some kind of device... Maybe we have seen something like this before. I'm predicting charred meat before the end, Winston. No, <laughs> that sounds good. Almost like a barbecue. Yes, yes, oh, yes. And uh, Manuel Two rounds us off. There is Manuel Two, a fan favourite. There, people are cheering him on. He's waving at the crowds. Oh, oh, uh, there is swooning. There is confirmed swooning. There is a heck of a lot of swooning at the side, and also he is carrying a suitcase with multiple stickers from his many ventures around the world. His guitar is strapped to his back. His cigar is protruding from his mouth. He is leaning casually against his chariot. What a man. What a man. Anyway, the officiator of the race is dipping his bow into the oil just like last week. He is set it light and... Where we are, are off! Uh, we are racing! We are racing! And they go thundering towards the first heaven! And we can see Alexis has taken the lead, followed closely by Leo 1. Constantine is in third place and Manuel is in fourth. 
Manuel is slowest. He is definitely the slowest because he is tuning his guitar right now. Tuning his guitar and riding those horses at the same time. That is quite the confident thing I'm seeing here. We can see Aspar is giving Leo a, quite, a, quite a good pat on the back there, whispering things yes. in his ear, giving him direction. Well, I've heard good things about these two. They've been training hard together. Aspar, before the race, was telling me he has high hopes for Leo. High hopes. Yes, I do believe they have a very unbreakable bond. They will be together forever. Leo is punching Aspar in the face. Oh. It appears that unbreakable bond has one truly been broken, Winston. Did you see this coming? Ah, uh, I did not. This is quite the surprise to me. Oh, and Alexos, we can see as he's taken the first half and he's on the next straight. Oh, we can see people coming out from the audience. They do look like they're on a crusade. Yes, it is crusaders, confirmed crusaders. They are taking over the track. They're setting up. Ted Alexios has had to stop right down. I believe two it's of them are submitting their hands to the track. Oh, this is, this is awful. One of them has set up a lemonade stand. It looks like they're here to stay, Winston. The officials are, they're trying their best. They're trying to move them on, but they're not getting anywhere. This is awful. And straight away, despite the fact Leo is punching Aspar, they've caught up with Alexios, as has Constantine Four and Manuel. It is now neck and neck, and they are all just stationary. They are looking quite annoyed. Alexios is now getting off his horse. And he is encouraging them. Oh, he's moving them along. They are now into the centre. Spinner. We have confirmed, confirmed negotiation going on. He is waving them on. And, and I must say, that was incredibly good negotiation tactics. But it has cost Alexios. Because he is scrambling back onto his chariot, the other three have sped onwards. Alexios is now at last. Manuel is just in front of him. Leo there. And amazingly, Constantine Four has taken the lead. A huge surprise there. And as our commentary moves towards Andronicus, we can see he is still stationed above the centre of the stadium. Piranha tanks still there, guards, spears still out and pointed directly at his abdomen. He is not getting out of that one, he is definitely not racing. And oh, we have taken our eye off the race for too long there, Winston, because what is this Constantine for? It's spurting his Greek fire. I knew it was Greek fire. I had a suspicion, and he is using it to great effect. He is staying in the lead. He is keeping his lead, using the Greek fire. That is incredibly good. The other racers are backing off. They are stopping their horses. Horses are not happy. They are not happy at all. Uh, but Alexios one has gained up, and he has it's taken Manuel too. He's now oh. third. So we have got Constantine four, Theo one, now Alexios, and and Manuel two brings up the rear. This is quite the exciting race. And Manuel's just slowing down completely. And, oh, Winston, it's hard to describe, but it's, it must be an eclipse. I can only assume it's an eclipse. Everything is going dark, Winston. This is quite scary. I do not want to do, I don't know what to do. And a hush, a hush is descending upon the crowd. Everyone's getting little matches out. I believe that is a spotlight. And the guitar is out. The guitar is out. A hush descends. Manuel, Manuel, I will just, I can't speak, Winston. I will let the music take us.
runs into Manuel as he laps him. Oh dear, Manuel did not see it coming at all. He was mid-flow. The crowd are aghast. They were in the moment. Everyone in the crowd was there. They were one with Manuel. And oh, Manuel has sprawled on the floor. Constantine on the floor. Leo one is now taking the lead, but Alexios one is neck and neck with him. And as we have Zuber on Leo, we can see his, oh, oh dear, he is carrying Aspar's head in his left hand. I believe their friendship is officially over. You can only assume so, and it must have been during the song that the decapitation took place, so we will never find out who killed Aspar. But the chant is definitely now Leo the Butcher, so we can uh, we can assume the crowd are deducing who was who was involved. Anyway, um, so... Allegedly. Allegedly, of course. Uh, Manuel, too, incidentally, he has managed to get up. Uh, he got on a horse, uh, and he has just ro rode out of the stadium. He's gone. He's Manuel, too, is gone. It would appear he is out the race. Constantine Four is not getting up, so I think he is also out. So this is now a two-horse race between Leo One and Alexios One. As we zoom back on Andronicus, we can see the guards are taking off the helmets, and Oh, good lord, they're all women. Oh, God, Winston, Winston, that, that would appear to be Manuel's sister, niece, mother and wife. It would appear that the entire female part of Manuel's family, uh, well, actually the guards, they're getting into the piranha tank. They are getting into the piranha tank. I can only assume to kill Andronicus to arrest... Oh, Oh God, no, we are cutting away. We are cutting away. Oh. This is a family event. We cannot show that. I do apologize for our listeners if somehow what was happening there presented itself over the airwaves. And as we focus it on uh, Manuel One, who is currently sitting front row in the audience, he is not happy. He is frowning, he is frowning, he is cross. Manuel One has not been happy since obviously not going through the rounds himself. And oh, this is only going to make him even worse. It is, it is. But uh, Andronica seems to be having a, a jolly good time. Yes, but we're not looking. We're watching the race. Who's winning, Winston? Pardon? The, the race, Winston, which we're watching, obviously. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Could you tell, tell, tell the audience who's winning? I, I, I don't know, like Manuel 2 or something, who, who cares? Oh, oh, oh. oh good God, sorry. Uh, uh, oh, uh, I do apologize. There is a knock on our booth right now, and... Uh... Well, you, you go and fetch what it is, and I'll, uh, I'll keep talking. Um, we can see uh, Alexios is, is, is still uh, riding quite fast. Uh, Leo won. He has uh, still carrying the head, but I... Oh, no, he's chucking to the audience. They're now using it as a, some sort of beach ball. And, and as we zoom back on Constantine 4, he is being stretched off. I'm afraid he is out of the race. He is down for the count. He is no longer a part of this. What a shame. Yes, and uh, the knock on the door, by the way, listeners, uh, it was a postcard from uh, Paris. Manuel 2 is now in Paris. That having is... Having a grand old time getting support. Wonderful, that is quite the commute, I'm impressed. Quite the commute. Um, anyway, where were we? Have they taken off the top line? I mean, who's in the lead? Who is in the lead? It's, oh, it's Alexios 1. When did he take over? Anyway, Alexios 1 is now in the lead. We have Alexios 1, Leo 2. It's a two-horse race. Who is going to win? That is quite impressive, and oh, oh my goodness, you can see from the side, we have another crusade coming through. But Alexios is waving them through for the second crusade. And they have crossed the path, and they're through! That was nicely that done. more organised this time. They seemed to know what they were doing. The s yes, yeah, they are through. 
Um, lots of them shaking Alexios's hands whilst they go past, but I do believe some of them have their fingers crossed. I believe some of them did, and I can see a lot of disgruntled viewers in the stands who had their popcorn stolen. Oh dear, yes, no. Lots of unhappy people in the crowd there, you're absolutely right. Uh, this has slowed Alexios down. It is now neck and neck between Alexios 1 and Leo. Um, oh, uh, sorry, another postcard. Manuel 2 is in London now. London. Having a gay old time. That's oh, damn! Hey, guys! Oh, terribly sorry, listeners. I left the door open getting the postcard. How are you um, down I'm... here? I want to say how much of a fan I am of yours. My name is Chad, and i got to say you inspire me the uh, entire time. Excuse me, excuse me. Chad, is yes, it? Yes, Chad. I'm from America. Ch Chad, uh, we are live, and yes. uh, you yes. are... Uh, if, if you don't mind, we are trying to broadcast. We are trying to record. God, yes, I could help myself. I had to come and say, hey, no, I brought my friend with me. This is Hickory. I'm Hickory, fellas, and I just love what you've been doing. We listen to you all the time, or at least we would if we weren't compensating on this very race. You listen to us all the time. Oh, dear, this this isn't good. Uh, you, you please need to leave. You need to leave. We wouldn't be in this racket if it wasn't for you guys. We, we're your inspiration. Oh, yeah. Man, you've inspired us since day one. I listen to you. I thought, you're the two people I want to emulate, so everything we do is because of you! Oh dear. Should, should you not be commentating now? What do you mean? We are commenting! We're recording this very damn thing! We're recording on the move! Anyway, come on, chap, let's go and say hi to the Spanish commentators! Hi, damn! Maybe we can get a 7-Eleven on the way! Hey, close the door! Close the door! Close the door! Well, I do, I do apologize, listeners. Oh. Um, dread to think how much we missed in the race during all of that. Uh, I'm looking now, and um, yes, Andronicus and Manuel's family are now almost fully dressed again. So it would appear we have missed most, if not all of... Um... Oh, uh, sorry, yes, and, and Alex Alexios is also still winning. Alexios is winning. That's absolutely splendid. And we can see uh, Leo won. He is uh, closely behind. He is very close, in fact. Again, I cannot apologize enough for all the goings-on with Andronicus, uh, because, I mean, if uh, I hate to do it, but if we were to look over there yet again, we... Winston? Oh, good lord. He seems to have gone. He's, he's vanished. There were just uh, two two shackles hanging. Well, oh. well, North, where could he Where could he be? Is that him over there? Look, what? Look. Oh, he's on a horse! He's on a horse! He's on a horse and he's he's racing! And he's racing, he's completely naked! God, it's all flapping in the breeze, Winston! It's quite the sight to behold! And his horse has got a name painted off the side, uh, Theodore? Yes! Oh, oh, and he is he's he's going like the clappers! Like the clappers, he is going. That's his sessicles. He has already overtaken Leo One, which is quite the feat because Leo One was on lap 39. And we can see about 50 guards chasing him behind, but they have no hope. No hope at all, because uh, Andronicus, uh, he is speeding ahead, speeding ahead. Alexios is looking at his grandchild, utter dismay in his eyes as he looks behind him. But Andronicus is catching him up with so much speed, there is nothing Alexios is going to be able to do here. So I suppose now we just wait for the inevitable overtaking, which I imagine will happen in about two laps' time, as Andronicus is just speeding up. Uh, what's this? It's Manuel too. He's back. He is back. He's back. He's back in the stadium. He is wearing a I Heart Paris t-shirt and uh, wearing a bowler hat. He clearly enjoyed himself in the West over there. And he is also catching up. It's actually going to be a tight end. Ah, damn! Run, sport, guys! Oh, close the door! 
close the dock. Oh, God, that terribly sorry. Right, okay, here we are. Um, right, uh, we're getting to the end there. Andronicus as... Yes, he overtakes Alexios 1 with two laps to go. It's not surprising. We have Andronicus 1 in the lead. I doubt he will be catched now, but Alexios has got more to worry about. He now feasibly loses to Vanuatu, who is gaining on him quite rapidly. That is true. However, I can see Alexios talking to the Crusaders. They are now paying their attention towards Leo. They are moving towards Leo. They are trying to grab his horse. Yes, Leo is definitely out now. Uh, the Crusaders take his time and take him down, and now they're turning their attendance to Manuel, trying to slow him down. Manuel is standing on, on top of his horse, strumming his guitar, waving to the crowd. It's almost as if he doesn't care where he comes, so it's probably just as well, because I don't think he's going to make it. No, I don't think he cares. He's just in this now for the performance. The women are swooning, and I must admit, so Yes, and Andronicus crosses the finish line, a clear winner there, no problem at all, which is quite remarkable, quite remarkable considering where he started upside down in a fish tank. And we can see Alexios, he is about to head to the finish line as well, and he has crossed it, coming in there in second place. Second place, and now Manuel too, not too far behind, a very good performance considering he managed to get all the way to London and back, you could argue he was the fastest, but it's not how the rules go. Unfortunately not, he was not the fastest on this track. Well, thank you for joining the BBC this evening for the chariot race. We hope you had a glorious time, and we apologize for the lewd behavior Andronicus. Yes, and quite frankly, the very rude interruption from our American colleagues. We shall be having words with our producers. And until next time. Good evening. Good evening. Did you hear what they said that we were an inspiration? I know that made me slightly sick in my mouth. Quite, quite. But a little bit proud. A little bit. Yes. A little. A little. Something to tell the grandchildren. What? Yes.